Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 53, recorded on August 23rd, 2016. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Here as usual. <laughs> Reporting for duty, huh? Exactly, exactly. There you go. Well, we just spent a couple days together in New York City, which is very different, of course, from spending a couple days together here where we both live. Um, but we spent a lot of time together. And one of the things we discussed is you said that I should start the podcast by telling people where I'm going to be if they want to come and see me. So here is that moment. Thank you. I am going to be in Austin, Texas, and I hope that you are too. I'm teaching um, two workshops. One is a one-day, and the other is a two-day workshop on September 16 through 18. And the Friday workshop is meant to go with the Saturday and Sunday. Um, uh, but I, in case somebody couldn't get off work, I wanted to make sure that I split them up a little bit so that you don't have to take Fridays in order to get the most out of a Saturday and Sunday. You don't have to take Saturday and Sunday to get the most out of Friday, but they are, the three of them are meant to go together. Um, we're going to be making big collages and making papers and it's going to be an awesome, good time. And mostly I am excited to get some Texas barbecue. So how can they find out where these classes so if you are. want to find out more, if you just go to the classes tab on my website, I have not updated it for a long time, but at long last, it is updated with current classes. So uh, things are not open for registration yet, but I will also be in San Jose um, in October, and then I will be in Florida in December, and there are a couple other things popping around. I'm coming back to Canada in 2017, so lots to look forward to. When you say things are not open for registration yet, you don't mean the Texas. You mean the no, San Texas Jose. No, Texas is open for registration right now. You should register right now, but the other ones are not open for registration yet. Okay. That's the dealio. Would you like to talk a little bit about what we were doing in New York City besides eating everything that New York City had to offer? I think you should talk about uh, the two days that you went to YouTube space because I think people who, even people who don't blog but who read blogs would be interested. Well, so let's talk about what YouTube space is, first of all, for anybody who doesn't know, because I, uh, once upon a time, I didn't know that. Um, so YouTube space exists in a couple locations in America, in New York and in L.A. They also have YouTube spaces in other countries. There's one in London, uh, I think. There's one in Malaysia. I believe there's one in Moscow. I'm anyway. Regardless, um, what it is is it is a a area of a building that's full of filming studios, control rooms, editing suites, tons of top of the line, first rate, amazing equipment from lights to cameras and everything else, and it is all free to use. That's right. It is free to use. So people who have more than 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, um, and if you don't, first of all, I assume everybody knows what YouTube is. Let's start there, right? YouTube is actually this, the world's um, second largest search engine, if you can believe that. So after people go to Google, they go to YouTube to search for things. And so YouTube is obviously a video platform. And you can subscribe to various channels. And if you have never subscribed to a YouTube channel and you're wondering why you would want to, it's kind of like subscribing to this podcast or anything else. It just means that 
when you are looking for something to watch or you want to get an alert when your favorite, you know, podcaster or YouTuber has a new uh, you know, episode or a new video or whatever up that you just get a notice about it and it's that you can easily find the people you like. So it's doesn't um it's not like a harassing kind of subscription, which is sometimes how I think of subscriptions. It's a very sort of easygoing thing. Anyway, so if you have more than 10,000 subscribers, and just so you know, one of the things I learned at YouTube Space is that um, every single day in the world, 1,000 people reach 1,000 subscribers. So that's interesting. Um, Apparently, it gets harder after that, and the numbers go down significantly to get to 5,000, to get to 10,000, to get to, I think, the next benchmark after that is 100,000, and then, obviously, to get to 1 million. Um, So... Anybody who has more than 10,000 subscribers can use YouTube space for free, um, can book one day a month. Then I think if you have more than 50,000, you can book two days a month, even more 100,000. Anyway, as you can see, it goes up by number of subscribers. But people who have fewer than 10,000 can still take classes there for free and all kinds of training there for free. If you're interested in video production, if you're interested in optimizing your channel, if you're interested in using social media, if you're, I mean, so it's really an, a sort of amazing resource for people to use. You, of course, have to be near one of those cities, although I will say, so I went to two different events at YouTube Space, and there were people there from um, all over the East Coast who had come specifically for this. I think the farthest people I talked to were from Washington, D.C., who both worked for political uh, channels. Uh, And there was a girl from New Hampshire I talked to and a couple other people who were, you know, outside New York, greater New York, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I assume the LA space has a lot of people who are, you know, California-ish. Um, But it's a great resource. You can find out about it at YouTube. So what are the two days that I went to? Well, I'm so glad that you asked, Mom. What are the two days that you went for? (laughs) So the two days that I went to, the first day was called Creator Day. And it was interesting. So I brought my brother with me because he does um, all the filming for my brother videos. Isn't that funny? My brother does the brother videos. It's very, very meta meta. Incredibly amusing. I'm just, um, at least I amuse myself. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So um, we went to Creator Day and it was a very corporate event obviously um youtube was bought by google 10 years ago uh and so you know it's it's like we're a fun corporation but it's still we're a corporation um and it was a lot of powerpoint and instruction and ideas for you know how do you get the most out of your channel how do you maximize what you're already doing how do you reach the most number of people um some of it was very interesting to me and some of it was sort of totally not applicable because a lot of people who are youtube superstars are people who do vlogging and people who do um share a lot about their personal lives which is obviously not something i i do necessarily i so i guess i do in sort of sideways ways i mean right now i'm doing it so is that what is that what vlogging means vlogging is video blogging yeah. It's the combination of those two words. Okay. So vlogging is most often like direct address to the camera where you talk about things or you direct address to the camera, show yourself doing things. 
Um, a lot of people sort of segue into vlogging from doing um, makeup tutorials or uh, other things that kind of also involve direct address. And then you kind of end up, you know, people want you to talk about, um, you know, speaking with confidence or whatever. And then it starts to get personal and da 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 sort of a natural rollout. Um, so to the two celebrity speakers that they had come were both vloggers who told some hilarious store and scary stories about like fa stalker stalker fans um and stuff like that my favorite was there's this guy he uh he and his his youtube friends were on a bus doing like a tour of california of some kind where they were like going to various locations making personal appearances and um there were people waving at them on the side of the road and so they're waving back thinking oh yeah you know we're so famous they're waving at us in our bus you know blah 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 in our tour bus and all of a sudden they were surrounded by cops in the middle of the highway in california and it turns out that there was a girl clinging to the back of the bus no way yes who had wanted to meet them and it gets even better she was live tweeting while the clinging whole time while clinging to the back of the bus so i don't know how she had hand free to do this My and God. she was like live she was like video casting herself doing this too i mean like it just insane anyway so she got arrested uh and obviously it was you know freaked everyone out for lots of reasons and you know one of the other guys there said that he has had things of like you know he's he he basically uh, posts or posts these live videos he live streams at the same time various days and so he's had like women outside his house like screaming at him because they know he's in there they know what his house is they know you know and they and both the guys said you know don't feel sorry for us it's much scarier for women out there yes i know so keeping that in mind i was kind of like why would anyone want to be youtube famous like that kind because of... the thing is i think I've always thought of YouTube as a tool for my blog. Like, it's where I host my videos. It's how, you know, I can find a new audience sometimes. Or, you know, I certainly go there to search, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? You know, when I was making Christmas cookies and I couldn't figure out royal icing, that was the first place I went. Um, but I don't know. There's a certain kind of, like, insane bravery or just stupidity i don't know what it is i feel i just i just got freaked out by that and i was like i don't want people showing up at my house or clinging to a bus i'm on or any of the other stuff you know wow yeah anyway so that part of it was was interesting but not really relative relevant um, relevant <laughs> thanks mom it is late here to be fair it's like 11 o'clock at night and i'm half asleep but anyway yes relevant uh to what i'm doing so but it still was interesting and then the second day um was really about content or they said it was about content it was like a content boot camp but it wasn't about content in the sense though that you or i may think of content because when i think of content i think of like what are what am i teaching and am i doing a good job and does this have good content right mm -hmm. did i just define a word with the word Yes. Which is the most ignorant thing you can do. Okay, sorry. Let's go back. So when I think of the word content, I think of what, what, is, you're talking what am about. I giving what the I viewer? Right. Yes. What is, what is the impact I'm having on them? When they were talking about content, what they meant was brand huh. more than anything. 
So a lot of the day was analyzing this one beauty channel and then taking those things, that, those tools, and trying to apply them to your own channel. So do you provide, you know, provide a unified message? Do, is it clear what you do based on your header and your titles? Are you know, what do your thumbnails lead someone to believe? What, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then tell the end people of it what was, a thumbnail is and headers oh, okay. and headers. So on your YouTube, and by the way, on the show page, I will link to all this stuff so you can just click, click, click if you want to see anything. Um, but so a header is what is at the top of the page and every single YouTube uh, channel has a header on it. And that header, um, so for instance on mine, it's a version of the same header you see on my blog because that's keeping my brand consistent, obviously. And plus my header has a lot of photos that, so even if you didn't speak English, even if you didn't understand any text, you still could get the gist of what this is about. We're making arts and crafts and I'm a silly person who always poses with my mouth open. Right? That's kind of the gist of it. That's true. Yeah, it's all true. It's all true. Um, so then the question is, if you move down through the thumbnails, thumbnails are when you look at the video, what is the quick image that you're seeing? The video is not moving. You're not reading the title. You're just seeing that little picture that you can press the play button on. Mm -hmm. And so thumbnails, apparently um, the traffic is moving more and more mobile on YouTube. So what they're noticing is it means obviously a mobile device is much smaller than a desktop or an iPad or, you know, I mean, although iPads are mobile, but so what they're noticing is that thumbnails have to be crisper, cleaner, larger text, simpler, because people are viewing things on their mobile devices. Okay. So they talk to us a lot about that and keeping things brand consistent. Um, you know, it's an interesting thing because... I feel like it's the same thing as in the art world all the time we talk about your personal style. Like, what's my personal style? How do I find my personal style? How do I define my personal style? And that YouTube series, they kept talking about brand in the same way. Like, what's your brand? Does that fit in your brand? Is this doing your brand? And, like, I think that stuff is important. Like, I think it's important to know who you are and da-da-da-da-da and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It feels so limiting to me to have this idea that I can only be this thing, you know? Or you can have multiple channels or Yeah, you can have outlets. multiple channels and some people do and you can have multiple. I think what they're talking about is not that you have to, but saying if you want to have the largest possible audience, then do these things. And I think that really depends, like, what are your goals? Are your goals to develop 100,000, 200,000, a million followers on YouTube? You know, I talked to a couple of people where I said, who, I said, you know, one of the issues is that there, this guy is a professional vlogger. As he, he introduced himself to me and he said, uh, I'm a uh, media personality. <laughs> And wonder, I is said, that what he says on his car, business card? Media I don't know. He said he was several things, but that's the word that stood out to me when he said he was a media personality. And I said, okay. Um, and I said, you know, what do you, what are your videos about? Right. 
And he said, they're about everything. They're about everything I do and everything I see and everywhere I go and da 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 And so he is his brand, right? Anything that he does is legitimately in his brand. So if he goes to space one day or if he takes care of a baby, that's or all Or buys socks. Or right. buys socks, right? Let's that's... all go with me while I buy socks. Exactly. That, that, in fact, one of the celebrity YouTubers who we talked to is called like Ryan's Average Life or something. And he said that like the big defining characteristic for him as a vlogger is he like doesn't do anything special. That his life is really boring. And that he just does average things. And he has like 600,000 subscribers and this is his full-time career and he gets like acting jobs. He's represented by William Morris Agency, like serious huh. stuff, man. Um, And I thought that was all really, really interesting. I'm going to guess that most people who do that sort of blogging or vlogging are younger because nobody wants to sit around and watch a 65-year-old person living their average life. I bet you could get a huge following, Mom. You know, we would call your we would call your uh, channel like seventy and fabulous, and you would get a million people watching. And you could give beauty tips and health right. tips, <laughs> and you could show your yoga poses off. And you if know, I had any, I would. We could call it advice from Yoda. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Um, followers. I think the thing is like. This is what I believe, which is why I think reality TV works and why I think a lot of these vlogs and stuff work, which is everybody is inherently interesting in some way, right? Well, but reality TV hypes it up. Right. Reality TV hypes it up, but that's why a reality TV show has millions of views. And yet a lot of these vloggers have hundreds of thousands of views, which is different. It is different numerically because reality TV is is – is, you know, they want it to be consumed by the most number of people possible. Whereas vloggers, it's like you're getting into a narrow crevice and you're finding the other people who like that crevice. Hmm. You know? So um, for people who like to go to Whole Foods and read the newspaper, I'm it for you. Well, they're actually, <laughs> I've seen a lot of people in Whole Foods reading the newspaper, so I feel like you might be in good company. If you throw ah. a little words with friends in there, I feel like you might get even more people. Crossover. Okay. Um, but no, I mean, like, and I have to say, you have to watch your P's and Q's and remember that everybody uh, has their own thing that they like. And sure. and I think I sort of flippantly said something as a joke in a sort of a social part of the conversation where I said, you know, can you believe that there are people who just listen to, there, there are people who listen to certain videos on YouTube just because, you know, the voice is soothing or something like that, right? And there's this whole thing of people who do these whisper videos because people like hearing whispering or something. Uh, and I was kind of like giggling about it. And then this woman didn't sort of took that as uh, in a positive way. And she was like, oh yeah, there's this. And she told me about a YouTuber that she likes to fall asleep to every single night because her she finds her voice very soothing. Yeah. And then out of the blue, I kid you not, Two days later, maybe, I got a YouTube comment from somebody who said, um, as soon as I heard your voice, I decided to subscribe. So that's a real thing, you know, and that you have no control over to a certain extent. Because I've also gotten email from people who say my voice is incredibly annoying. I remember one of those. Yes. 
and the fun thing is that it's happened more than once from I what I assume are different people, but you never know. That's right. And also, <laughs> haven't you been uh, before this been taking or been in discussion groups online with YouTube? Yeah, so they have all kinds of online. There's a whole YouTube content creators um, forum that you can talk to. They also offer online classes of all kinds if you can't make it to YouTube space. There's just a lot of interesting stuff. And I think, I mean, the question of how this all relates back to art, if I may, for a moment, and beyond just the business of art, which obviously does involve video instruction, is that I think that part of art for me is being part of the cultural zeitgeist and feeding off of what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think paying attention and being aware of these trends and these things are happening, which may not be my own natural proclivities, but that are clearly something that is happening for many, 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 many people, I think is really interesting and important because I think if you want to, we always talk about making art accessible and we talk about stuff like, and we talked about it on the last podcast and it's stuff like, you know, uh, free days and explaining art to people and all that kind of stuff. But maybe part of making art accessible is also to make art that comes out of things that people are talking about and doing. And sharing so, your process. Yeah. And so that it's more relevant to them. So it, it's more. And I, I often also say that, like, I think craft. Okay. So I, I travel a lot for my job, obviously. And when you sit on an airplane with that many strangers, you inevitably get asked, so what do you do? And I always say, oh, I, you know, I'm an artist and I work in the craft industry. And so the thing that I have discovered is no matter who you're sitting next to, businessman in a suit, young, you know, girl, old man, like whoever it is, across gender, age, race, whatever, everyone has a crafting story. Because as soon as I say I work in the craft industry, or if I say I'm a professional crafter or anything like that, people immediately will say, oh, I always make my, you know, Halloween costumes every year. Or, oh, we have this thing we always do every Christmas as a family where we, you know, make the ornaments for our tree. Or whatever it is, people, everybody has a story where they've crafted. And often the story is that they're terrible at crafting, but they still have a story where they've done it, you know. Which is like when I sit next to an eye banker on the plane, I'm not like, oh, I was just eye banking the other day. Um, but you know what I mean? Like everybody has that story. It's a part of all of our lives. And I think that one of the things that's interesting is finding all those cracks and avenues into make empowering people who sort of dabble in it to feel that they can do it, to feel more creative, to feel excited about it and not intimidated by it. And I think that YouTube is an avenue that actually makes all of that more accessible to people. So you may start by looking up a fun way to do the place cards this year and then go down a rabbit hole and it changes your life. So do you want to talk about what what kinds of things you have on YouTube? Um, so most of the stuff that I have is tutorials that have been related to blog posts some of it is just sharing stuff like an art journal flip through or looking through different pages um, a lot of it I have a lot of scan and cut 
uh, instruction and tutorial videos. I've also got, there was a period of time when I did these process videos, a lot of them, where I would just turn the camera on when I was scrapbooking or art journaling or whatever, and you just get to see the process without any instruction really from beginning to end, usually with music playing and hyper fast forward, which I think is interesting and I like to watch those kinds of videos. I always say that I think my videos uh, try to combine entertainment and education. And aren't there some rules that you make for yourself about the way you're going to do your videos? Are there? Well, like, for example, you said nobody wants to sit and watch paint dry. Well, yeah. So for I know there, I mean, I get this comment all the time and I get letters from people all the time who wish I would slow down in some of the videos. So the way I feel about it is if you really want instruction, instruction, that's more in depth. I have online classes, you know or I have in-person classes or whatever it is. If you're looking for a little bit of inspiration and some entertainment, then I have YouTube videos in which you can like get the basics and the gist of how it goes. I don't, I try to keep it moving so that if you're not actually creating along with it, you will actually enjoy sitting and watching the whole thing in its entirety. Um, and if you're creating along with it, the great thing about it being a video is I always say hit the pause button, hit the play button, hit the rewind button, hit the pause button, you know, and do it that way instead. Um, so that's kind of my own personal philosophy. And that is based on uh, how I consume video. And what I would say is I always tell people like you can't be a blogger if you don't actually read other blogs. Because what, how do you know what you like or what your tone should be or like what's fun to read and what annoys you or, you know, so you can't be a uh, YouTuber or create videos or be a teacher or any of that stuff if you haven't been a student, if you don't watch videos. Because how do you discover what you like, what makes it easy for you to learn? I think you only can be a uh, creator or a pusher of those things if you're also a consumer of those things. So like one of the reasons I can't do Snapchat, I just have, I've tried a couple times this week because I really like the Instagram stories is because I don't consume Snapchat. And so it's just, it's not working for me. You know what I mean? I was impressed that you did a video from our hotel room in New York with a kind of very Jerry built setup. Yeah, so I did a periscope from our hotel room in New York of so I I had been so busy before I left for New York that I hadn't had time to make my brother a card for his, for birthday. his birthday. And so I had brought a cutting mat and a couple of pieces of paper and a craft knife. And I knew that I was going to have to, in the hotel room at some point, sit down and do it. And so there was one morning that we had a little time in the hotel room. And I just thought, you know what? Why don't I throw up uh, Periscope and do this live? I have to make this anyway, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the funny thing is I had, or not the funny, but the, the thing about that is I had run into Jenny Barnett Roars from Craft Test Dummies at the YouTube space the day before. And I had said, you know, I'm, I'm never sure how to use Periscope, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes, you know, I'm not sure, like, is this a Periscope video? Is this a YouTube video? And she said, I use Periscope for all my process videos. She said, if I have to paint you know, uh, paint samples, I do it on Periscope. If I have to, any, any task I have to do, I just put it on Periscope because why the heck not? Which I thought was kind of a really interesting philosophy. So I was like, well, I'm going to make this card. It's not thought through. It's not particularly polished. And normally I don't like to do stuff unless it's really thought through and really polished. So I was like, but I'll just 
see what happens. They won't announce it to anybody. I'll just kind of do it. And uh, I wasn't sure how what I was going to do with my phone in order to do the video. So I ended up using two hair bands and attaching it to the l desk lamp um, on the table. A swing arm lamp. Yeah, like a swing arm lamp and the table. So it was sort of hanging over the space. And then I took a one of the little notepads that they give you in the hotel and I wrote out like my blog address and info on it. And then we just kind of got to going. And, um, you know, it was a good experience and I got a great card out of it. And I'm in the process of that footage is very grainy, obviously, because it came off of Periscope. Um, but I'm in the process of trying to edit it into a super fast-forwarded uh, YouTube video. So it'll be like a minute and a half where you can see what was essentially... I think it. I looked when I finished and it would have been like 56 minutes where I had just talked and cut for 56 minutes. And well, I can, you know, shorten that up, tighten it up for YouTube for into a little quick polished video. I was very impressed that you could talk nonstop for 56 minutes. Mom, you've been on a road trip with me. You know I can talk <laughs> nonstop for more than 56 minutes. I still found it impressive. <laughs> I found it impressive that I was able to cut and not myself while doing that. So do you want to talk about uh, going to the Museum of Modern Art while we were in New York? One of the things that you always do every time you go to New York is you go to the Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, I love the Museum of Modern Art partially because I hate contemporary art. I don't hate contemporary art. We've discussed this before. I have trouble with a lot of contemporary art. And the Museum of Modern Art always forces me to open up which I appreciate. Sometimes I still hate it after I leave, but at least I feel my brain opening to it. It's good. Um, so, and part of the reason that I'm able to do this is actually based on, a, so the conversation that we had, that we actually went to MoMA twice um, during this short visit because it's awesome and it was there. And that's one of the things when you become a member of a museum is you're like, hey, I'm going to walk in for 20 minutes. I don't care because it's free because I'm a member. You know, as opposed to when you're not a member and you're like, well, I'm not going to pay $25 if I'm just going to go in for a little while. Anyway, so uh, on our second visit, we looked at a little bit of the permanent collection. I took you to see one of my all-time favorite paintings in the whole world, um, which is a, a beautiful um, Van Gogh. A postman, Van Gogh. Yeah, right. which has a background that I have studied, photographed, and... I, I someday in my dreams I'll be able to do a background that gorgeous anyway um so we were standing there and you have brought up this whole thing about you know it's not really modern art and I said well I think modern art has become a period of time you know and that art that was coming around sort of in the uh 19th century uh and into the 20th century like that's now considered modern art as a time period as opposed to contemporary art which is current um but on the other hand you know i was at the museum of fine arts here in boston and there was a sign that said all art was once contemporary and i think that's one of the reasons that i like moma because one of the things they had all over the museum and this particular visit was a ton of video installation and that can sometimes be tough for me I can sometimes be a person who rolls my eyes at a lot of video installation. But what 
by having the art that was that tough for period of that for people of that time period you know in 1920 looking at these paintings going this picasso is insane you know um it just reminds me that you need to sort of open up and let things in and not have an idea of what art should be right all right. So keeping that in mind, you and I actually saw some really wonderful, fascinating, creepy, fantastic things. Um, so one piece that we saw, and I don't think we intended to stay for the whole thing. I think you leaned over to me right before it started and said, this is 43 minutes, this film. And I was like, we don't have to stay, right? But we did. But we did. We stayed for the whole thing, even though we were in the most uncomfortable position in the world and my neck hurt like a crazy person afterwards because it was that good and it was that compelling. So it was a series of photographs with music instead of narration, although the music is well chosen as, so as to narrate the photographs. And they're real photographs of this woman's essentially extended circle of friends. Nan Golden. Yes. Um, G-O-L-D-I-N all sort of throughout throughout through several years and you kind of start to learn their stories as you go and you know it it made me think about several things i mean a storytelling in general you know i i tend to want to put text on my paintings on my work on anything i do Mm -hmm. because you know i'm a control freak Oh really? Yeah. Have you? <laughs> I come. I come from a long line of them, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> you're implying that your father is a control. Oh, that freak must be. Too? That must be what I'm saying. Um, but what I was gonna is that so it was so interesting to watch this whole thing without the control freakness of text or voice or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That left it open to your interpretation you bringing your baggage you know and your modern lens because essentially these are pictures from the i think early 80s late 70s you know um to it because and like one of the things we were talking about is so there were several pictures of tattoos through this which i think at the time would have been more unusual and would have marked these people as certain kinds of people and now it's like tattoos are ubiquitous everyone's got one or seven in fact, I think I saw you drawing one on your arm today in the waiting yes. room at the doctor. I'm currently sporting. I so I was seeing how waterproof my uh, waterproof eyeliner was, and the answer is I, it's still on me all day long. I still have this thing. It's very waterproof, and we'll see what happens in the shower. I may have a tattoo. I may now have a tattoo that didn't hurt to put on. Um. But so that it was just it was really interesting. It also actually made me think of the whole Instagram stories thing because that the whole idea behind that, besides being a Snapchat ripoff, is that you tell a story through a series of small videos and pictures all day, and over, overall people get like a sense of your life, right? Um, and I just I don't know. I think it's also the thing of like when you go to a museum and they have an entire room of a single artist's work that that is a different experience than going and seeing a single painting by that Uh creator. And so the same thing is true, which is, um, so many of this uh, Nand uh, Golden. Nand Golden. Many of Nand Golden's um, 
photos were also displayed on the walls and it was a very different kind of impact seeing even 20 of her photos displayed on the walls as opposed to watching 46 minutes of her photos flash by. The exhibit is called The Ballad of Sexual Dependency, so if anyone's interested. And then another video exhibit that I didn't expect to like, it was by this Boutra Khalili. It's called The Mapping Journey Project, and it's in a large uh, atrium space, and there are all these screens. Each screen has a different map, and a person is talking and simultaneously using a pen to trace his or her journey as a refugee through mostly the Middle East and Europe and how they had to leave this place and they had to sneak into that place and they couldn't get out of this place. And you see all these different journeys sketched out on these different maps. It's really, the overall effect is quite stunning. I thought so. But then talk about Bruce Conner, because that's the one that we really spent a lot of time at. Yeah, so you weren't allowed to take any photos in the Bruce Conner exhibit, um, which is sad, but then I also meant that I bought the catalog because it was really good and I really enjoyed it. He is an interesting artist all over the place in terms of the kind of stuff he's creating, which was exciting and interesting to see. I mean, talk about someone who didn't get stuck in a box or a brand or a whatever. You know, it's like he's doing video of works of all kinds. He's doing really fascinating mixed media assemblages, which um, many of which feature these um, stockings, women's stockings used to sort of uh, cast a almost web-like appearance over multiple objects. It gave them kind of a spooky and sort of anthropomorphic feeling. It also gave them an aged feeling, these tan stockings. And I also, and, and in a little bit of a way, it's like a little shroud. Yeah, and also the idea of like a veil or something or a skin, uh-huh. which I really liked. Maybe that's why it felt anthropomorphic to me. Uh-huh. Um, I think my favorite thing that I saw of his, and I think I could have stood there for hours and I want to try it myself, is he did these fascinating inkblot drawings and they're mini, I mean, mini, mini, itty bitty little ink blots, but like hundreds of them, you know, on one page, piece of large paper. And but they're ink blots in the Rorschach sense, which is to say, it's not like he drops a bit of ink and sees what happens. It's he takes the ink and then folds the paper um, to create the symmetrical ink blot. And then adds his own pen lines and stuff to create like pattern and design and stuff out of them. They were fascinating. And he was obviously playing around with different methods of folding and also like very dark ink, very light ink, white ink on a dark surface and dark ink on a light surface. And I loved seeing a room full of these miniature ink blots because it felt to me like the most wonderful peek into a creative person's brain because you're just looking at someone thinking through what are the iterations of this? What can I try? How can I push this idea? And that was really interesting. 
There's that word again. I know. I can't use interesting. And that was really exciting to me. Yeah. It was stimulating. I mean, you. what's fun, I think, is when I go with you to an exhibit because you can tell me things I don't know about how you guessed the process went to create that. In fact, today, even at the doctor's office, I was looking at a piece of art and I asked you how you thought it was made. And to me, that, to me, that is often very compelling information. Yeah, I think that was always my favorite part about this one teacher, Corey Augustine, who I took classes from at MoMA, which is whenever he would give a tour of the collection, he would really talk about how the art was made. And I find that to be one of the most fascinating parts of looking at art. And I don't think it's just because I am an artist. Mm-hmm. But I think process is interesting, which actually, if you think about it, like a ton of contemporary art is about that. You you know, and they'll say, you'll look at something and you'll think it's just like a plain white canvas. And they'll be like, the artist used 10,000 white pieces of tissue paper to create a completely smooth white, you know, surface, blah, blah, blah. And in fact, so it's not necessarily the finished piece of art that's interesting in the same. It's the process. It's the process. And there are other works in which the process is meant to be irrelevant, which is to say, I know that there are huge installations in which the artist basically grabs, you know, volunteer students, whatever, to put together these huge installations. And you're supposed to kind of ignore that process and focus more on what the result is. What Weren't we at an exhibit recently where... It was photographs, and one of the parts of the process was that the artist didn't even want to participate in the clicking of the shutter. Mm -hmm. He would get someone else to click the shutter Mm -hmm. to be as hands-off as possible and then see what happened. We talked about that on the last podcast. It was an exhibit about MoMA many years ago. Yeah. But I mean, I think this is the kind of stuff which is like, when I say that I feel like MoMA opens me up to things, I think at the time that I saw that, I rolled my eyes and I was like, that's so stupid. But now years later, I'm like, I get that. Mm-hmm. And I think I think there's a lot of stuff like that where I eat my art vegetables because I know they'll help me grow up big and strong eventually. Even at the time, I'm not totally, I'm like, more like I want art french fries. Eat your art Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but art french fries are so much better. They're all fried. Anyway. <laughs> um, so it was a really good visit. It was really fun to see because I had been used to going to MoMA so regularly now that I get to go maybe once every few months it is there is more um there are more surprises because now I'm looking at five exhibits instead of just what's the new exhibit today and I have to say one of my favorite places to go is always a museum gift shop Mm. And MoMA happens to have one of the best museum gift shops. There's so many things in there that I want to touch and handle and turn the pages of. And uh, I always plan leave time 
to do that. I like buying things. I don't even have to buy them. I, I've used, I, I, I actually feel like going to the gift shop is part of my viewing experience. It is, and it's fun. In a good gift shop, in a good gift yeah. shop. I agree. One of my favorite things actually at the SF MoMA gift shop was seeing the jewelry that artists had created inspired by works in that museum because it gave me just an idea which was, hey, why don't I make some jewelry inspired by some paintings that I like? Hey, why not? Hey, oh my gosh, I came up with that idea all by myself. Wasn't that good? Excellent. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I went through, you know, looking at some of the crazy stuff in that people were paying a million dollars for at ABC Home, for example, which is a big store in New York that I love. And I, I went through going, oh, my God, I can make this. Oh, my God, I can make this. Oh, my God, I can make this. And the thing is, there's a lot of stuff that people just don't want to make. That's super cute. Or they haven't thought of it. Yeah. I mean, you can get one good idea, manufacture it in an attractive way, and people will buy it. It's true. They're really buying the idea. It's true. It's true. I know, because I was in anthropology, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I love this, but I can make that. But I love this. Anyway, it was a good visit to New York. I feel very stimulated and excited. And I was excited to come home and do something, to make something. And I always feel like that's an indication of a really good trip. So we'll expect to see some things shortly. Well, I was going to say, I've since I've been home, I made two YouTube videos. That's got to show that YouTube space is doing something to me. And um, do you want to... Uh, End this by talking about what you're uh, going to be doing in the next few days, the kinds of things. Well, in the next few, well, so Natalie, my friend Natalie's coming into town. And so for the next few days, I'm going to be playing with her. Um, but so I'm going tomorrow. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to take her to the gallery at the MFA. They have free, uh, model drawing in the galleries on Wednesdays, I think. From is it always a model or is it sometimes just a piece of art? I think it's always a model in the gallery. So you can draw things oh. in the gallery and or the model. That's my understanding. I've never been. This will be my first time. That Nothing like cool. a friend from out of town forcing you to do stuff. Right. Um, and anyway, I'm excited to take her to the MFA and see what's happening. And then um, Thursday, uh, I don't know. I might take her to see some stuff around town, some other art-related things. Uh, or, you know, you two could also do art together. You, had, you yeah. used to do that. When she was in New Jersey and you were in Manhattan, yeah. she would come over or you would go there and you would just spend the day making art together. Yeah, exactly. So I think it'll be good. It's always good to have an art friend to be able to talk, to, uh, you know, to about all art things that are going on with you. Um, and I'm sure we'll eat a lot of food and probably do some shopping because we like those things too. Who doesn't? Exactly. There's a really good art clothing store actually around here that I, I know she likes and I would like to go and see you too. And maybe shop exactly well all right okay anything else you want to add mama to our new york episode no i had a really good time and actually the 
the final thing about the Museum of Modern Art is there are several places to eat in there, but we ate twice at Cafe 2, which is a very informal but delicious cafe. And one of the things that is so nice is the food is all gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it may just be carrots, but the carrots are gorgeous. Yeah. It was delicious. By the way, if you're there, flourless chocolate cake, super good. See, I'm talking about carrots, <laughs> and you're talking about cake. Hey, I ate the carrots. Why are your own conclusions? <laughs> I'm just saying, I ate the carrots to get to the flourless chocolate cake. Okay. So, uh, thanks so much. And as always, you can find me at bulgerdesigns.typepad.com. And do leave us your comments or questions at bulgerdesigns.com backslash arting, A-R-T-I-N-G. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. That's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O. D-C-A-S-T-N. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>